Welcome to Gears Action Growth, shifting business culture one conversation at a time. My name is Christy Murray and I'm joining Dr. Josephine Palermo, whose superpower is to create business cultures that transform organizations team by team. Today, we have a guest. His name is Matthew Barnett, CEO and co-founder of Bonjour, the first digital service that uses personalized video to help businesses to build meaningful and lasting relationships with their customers. And he'll be taking us on a journey for customer delight. Hope you find it useful. First of all, a shout out to Casey, Matt's colleague who connected us so we can have this conversation today. Hailing from London, England, Matthew Burnett, aka also affectionately known as Papa Bear, and perhaps equally known for wearing a bear suit onesie, for professional purposes of course, has lived a life full of experiences including being an artist, designer, all-around creative, entrepreneur, consultant, business founder, CEO, father, family man, and even has had the moment of hugging Sir David Attenborough. Big welcome to you, Matt. How are you doing this week? Many thanks for joining us. I'm great, guys. Thanks for having me. It's a pretty good intro to live up to. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome, awesome. And Joe, our resident business culture professor, how are you doing? I'm really good today. It's a gorgeous day in Melbourne. So, and looking forward to the run up to Christmas. Yeah, it's next week. I love it. Mm. Yeah. Matt, you ready for it? Uh, yeah, I, I like I like the way you called it a run up, not a wind down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm running up the hill. <laughs> Is it a wind down for you, Matt? Uh, no, we're not. We're not stopping. Well, I think as of the 23rd, it'll be. It's going to be a pedal to the metal and then switch off completely. Mm. So very binary on our side. Yeah. I, so I think uh, people might be curious about embracing Sir David Attenborough, Matt. Actually, I am, so I'm just saying it on behalf of everyone who is. Uh, do you mind giving us a backstory on this momentous occasion? Yeah, I, I mean, look, I mean, anyone who met him would probably try and hug him or think about it. Um, yeah, look, I, I was either going to go zoology or business, so I chose business with the ultimate goal of building up a war chest and kind of going after um, zoology eventually. Um, but I, I just wrangled my way into meeting David Attenborough um, once I heard he was at something, so I got myself to the, the forefront. I, I, I was a lot younger, I was 16. Okay. So, yeah, I just turned up. Um, and then while he was signing everyone's books, he turned to me and I just gave him a hug. And I think he went, he, went to shake, he went to shake my hand and I went to hug him and his little hand crumpled into my chest. It was kind of, <laughs> it's kind of awkward, but I just kind of carried on with it and it was all good. And I think he didn't quite know what to do. He didn't was... melt into your embrace? Uh, no, but he did smell like baby seals. Oh, that's brilliant. (laughs) I love that. And the big question, Matt, is were you wearing a onesie bear suit? I was, I was not at the time. It was a little pre, it was pre, pre that part of my life. (laughs) All right. Well, that's awesome. I thought that was like just a year back or something when I read that on your profile. That it was, uh, it's just one of the highlights of my life as, as it would be for anyone. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, yeah. He doesn't look very huggy though. I'm he not was, sure. Look, it was twenty years ago, so he, he was a uh, he was a stronger man. He wasn't ninety at the time. Um, okay. I mean, everyone's everyone's huggable. You just gotta you just gotta break the uh, the mold and just get them over the line. <laughs> that's very non-British, isn't it? Uh, I, I'm not sure because I have some British friends and they don't really like hugging or touching. So no, we just I we guess just, it depends. We just shake shake hands from afar. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. 
So we have a real treat today, everybody, as we dive into the topic of customer delight with these two professionals, Matt and Josephine, who are passionate about building up people in business. Today, we'll start with defining what customer delight means, why this is vital for businesses to build, and if you're a business owner, how can you go about making this a focus, and what are the benefits of delighting your customers? So when I think about customer delight, I I think about Turkish delight. (laughs) For those of us that are unfamiliar with this term, can you, Matt, A, tell us if you're a fan of Turkish delight, and B, define customer delight for us? Um, Naturally a fan of Turkish delight, uh, (laughs) indeed. Um, Look, I think when it comes to customer delight, the way I think about it is is it's something that, that gives a positive a positive kind of moment to a customer that is unexpected I think is the, is the crucial thing here something they're not expecting that when they receive makes them stop pause and smile um, and then obviously as an as a kind of operational uh, piece going forward then taking that that methodology and applying that to all of your customers at different points on the journey mm. Well, Joe, are you also quite familiar with this term? Are you a fan of Turkish delight? I, I love Turkish delight is one of my favourite desserts. By the oh, way, actually, I didn't know this about you. It is, it is because I'm gluten free, dairy free. I absolutely love Turkish delight because it's <laughs> a clean dessert, everyone. But mm. um, but you know the thing about Turkish delight, it's got little. You sometimes it has little nuts in it, and it's it's um, great to have. It's a sweet thing you have with coffee, so it's a great companion to coffee, and. Um, and, and in a way, I'm, I, I'm not surprised it has its name because it is something that, you know, I, um, you know, particularly with coffee, which also delights me as well, it's something that you can have. And it, you, I always think of all the other places I've eaten Turkish delight, including in Turkey, actually, in Istanbul. And so, wow. you know, it's that too. And I think, you know, Matt, I'm actually interested in, you know, you were talking about sort of customer delight and it's those moments. And I think that, I absolutely agree. It's actually tapping into those moments for customers that that create that surprise because that's memorable and that's what people are going to uh, retell in their storytelling. So I'm I'm actually interested in how maybe you do that in Bonjoro right now. Yeah. So okay. So I mean, there's two pieces to this. One is I think internally as a culture, understanding what it is and kind of like bringing that to the forefront because it's something that generally it's not done by one team member like, like it needs to be done by by anyone on the front line i think it also comes into into how you build products and how you market and so you know we kind of have it as part, part of our culture we have a team member who is the cdo the chief delight officer whose job it is to make sure this this happens across the board um so the kind of the easiest area is how we interact with customers what we do is we kind of map out the customer journey we map out when we're going to have moments to interact with them and we look at those and we say look how do we inject a little bit of delight into each of these moments or, or as many as possible um you know we do things like, like we obviously send videos when someone first comes in to introduce ourselves and say welcome on board in person and thank them which is again unexpected uh, you know we go as far as sending bear suits to customers for for their kids when they hit certain milestones we'll do handwritten postcards um we'll do random videos and random um, shout outs on social media um, this is we do this as as an operation, but again for the customer on the end, it's kind of unexpected, and, and you know, and generally we try and think about them. Um, I think as well in terms of product, we'll put little things in that are unexpected there. So when people make make mistakes, you know, our our error page, we put up all the original 
logos that we ever had when we were kind of smashing out starting the business and they're these awful drawings of <laughs> of bears with like one eye and like a leg missing and all these stupid things we put them up as like you know as like a bit of a joke with made up bear quotes and we kind of just again we try and weave in the light into the messaging and how we and how we discuss and kind of build the product so again all these things are unexpected bring a small smile to people's mm. faces um, across every pe- every touch point when they engage with us or the brand very cool um speaking about bears i feel like i've seen your uh, the cousin of your bear at bonjourno in japan in um a town called kumamoto and their yeah. their bear you should check it out have you ever heard of kumamoto i have i have i think that's where i think it's where the bear is from it looks it's where the kuma, very similar it's like a kuma bear yeah which is where i think it's from there yeah yeah Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, it looks so similar to your bear. So I wondered if you ever knew that, but that makes sense. I think. I think. So we actually came with the bear because we were deciding on the on the beginning of the brand. We wanted to do characterization, a little bit like Melchimp kind of did very successfully back in the day. And one of the guys pulled a picture of mm. a bear of a bear waving, and we we're like, "Yep, yeah, that's the uh, that's it." <laughs> very cute. It. Um, so why don't businesses make customer delight a priority, Matt? I, I don't think it's anything nefarious. I, I just don't think we think about it. We don't think about how to operationalize it. So like, so every business will, will delight customers. Like, absolutely. You know, we'll buy them coffees. We'll take them out. You know, we'll check in with them and make sure they're good. I, I think, so it's probably not that they don't delight. It's probably that they don't systematically delight customers. Mm. And so I think it's easy to do one-off, you know, and to build relationships with customers and care about them, I think then putting it into a system, especially when you have large, if you have a large number of customers, it, it potentially becomes harder because of, because of scale and because of the time that it takes. And so I think it's more of a case of not understanding the importance of it at scale in terms of an actual like ROI. We may be able to talk about this like delight. Absolutely, you know, increases the time that customers will stay with you. It, it gets them to talk about you and leave reviews and tell us about you. So I think, I think understanding the benefit to the business beyond, I guess, the fluff, and then looking at that and going, you know, it's all well and good, you know, taking time with the customer, but how do we do that when we have two thousand? And how do we do yes. that again in a way that we can measure and take back and say, look, this is something we should do more of. Exactly. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. I think it's that systemization because, and, and I think that often maybe founders um, don't pay attention to that as they grow their business as well. Um, but I can, I have an example of, you know, thinking about this from a corporate or corporation perspective too, because I was actually um, at Telstra um, from 2012 and my job was to really um, implement their customer advocacy strategy which was a customer delight strategy and Telstra before that had not uh, operationalized or systematized that customer centric approach at all and and what I think they had been focusing on is maybe um, trying to fulfill customer needs through process excellence but the processes were developed in-house by people who thought they knew about what customers wanted or needed rather than talking to real customers they were so far removed from real customers and um i i mean matt i don't know if you're a telstra customer or has have been a telstra customer before but telstra did not have a very good um reputation brand wise for customer and and t- and today they 
they've shifted that um, more, but that they still have a, a way to go. But when we were there, we were, that was our job was to really shift, you know, millions of customers into being advocates for the for the brand. And I think that that what we did was really systematically all the way through that organisation because there were at that time thirty five thousand staff. So it was all the way through that whole staff contingent. Um, contingencies were put in place to really create a culture that was just customer obsessed because they hadn't been customer obsessed before. And and it came and it was showing through in terms of, you know, really poor results, really bad reviews, um, really poor share price, like the whole lot. Yeah, I think, so I, am a, I actually moved to Telstra quite recently, but I think... I would say just Telstra. I, I think telcos in general, as some other kind of corporate industries, struggle with this. And I wonder mm. if, I wonder how much of it is the struggle and how much of it is the fact that, you know, when you're in, you know, duopolies or, or when there's you know only a few providers in the industry, to be honest, there's probably less need for competition and therefore less of a focus on this. Um, I think maybe that's one of the challenges that are there. And so decoupling again, the return on investment for happy customers mm. when you're an industry which t- t- traditionally there haven't been many choices and therefore you know with telstra if you want the best network you go with telstra regardless um so i think things like telcos and stuff like they struggle because of that is there as much of a need you know i would al- or i would always argue yes like telstra could always grow its market share um but there may be other things are prioritized i think if you're in if you're not if you're in some if you're in other businesses, if you're in other, other industries, if you're maybe not in corporate, this is potentially easier for you to do, and it's also potentially more impact, impactful. Mm-hmm. If you're if, if you're in, you know a highly competitive market, then like you absolutely should be doing this. Um, so you know may, maybe it's not always the best to use the corporates as as the example because you know different, I think operational challenges and 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 situations might influence how they think about this. Yes, it's, it, it, and it, it is really tied to strategy, absolutely, for sure. And I think that, um, but, but even, I, I think that, you know, even in those larger um, organisations, a lot of them have shifted towards mm. um, this as a, as a priority because, um, particularly because customers can um, make a choice, they can compare products, so, and they can do that more easily now than they they were able to before but but you're right if it's not you know i think that and to answer your question christy if it's if it's not a priority if it's not a strategic priority around competition and in terms of market share and what what the purpose is of the organization then it's not necessarily going to be something that you know that business or that company should adopt because because the other thing is it actually takes like takes effort so so matt i you know, I'd be interested to kind of know from your perspective how much effort goes into um, thinking about customer from, you know, from your kind of um, experience. But I know that it does take effort. You've got to do things differently to really go to that customer delight um, end of the spectrum because you can service customers very well. Um, but what we're talking about is going above and beyond. So we're talking about putting your resources in the above and beyond. And um, and and you're right. It, it, if the if an organisation has priorities elsewhere, if it's if it if it does have if it doesn't have the competition in in their particular environment, um, 
um, because of, you know of the lack of de, you know deregulation or, or sorry the, and you know there are some there are some um, some big corporates that absolutely have high competition like I'm thinking of insurance companies for example they're large organizations but they still have that you know um, need to to be very competitive and stand you know out above and beyond um, the rest of the the competitors but you're right it's it's got to start with the company's purpose. Mm-hmm. But yeah, my question to you, you met though, is in terms of your resources, do you think about that, or is it just sort of like part of your DNA? It's part of our DNA. I mean, we did come out. Yeah. So at the end, they like we 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 a startup, yeah. And this is the other thing with the corporates, by like, like to your points, like everyone could be disrupted. Yeah. So you know, we are True. the disruptor. So obviously, with us, I think I think I think when you come to new fresh. Like the the walls have been torn down. Like transparency is becoming more important. Yeah, you know, like because of the world of fake news, etc. So, so anyone coming into space now, it's, to be honest, it's probably easier for us to do this because we're not trying to shift an old giant. Yes. Uh, but yeah, I mean, like the Telstra's like amazing came in. Yeah, um, you know, was it like five six years ago? Uh, and they you know, and they listed within a couple of years because they mm-hmm. had a much better focus on customers and they came in rapidly. So disruptors are happening. Um, but with us. It's not something we particularly think about. I think it's part of our culture as well, who we are. You know, we enjoy interacting with customers. We we, we build better products because we interact with customers. Mm. We're also fighting an uphill back battle where we can't sit our laurels and all like disrupting is hard. You know, to kind of go into where others haven't been before and to knock out incumbents, you have to do things differently. You have to be able to compete. I think investing in, in great support and great customer success early on pays back. Uh, we've done it. Our customers around the world, we're actually 90% of our customers are not in Australia. And so we've had, you know, we made a decision very early on with a small team to cover support 24-7 mm. um, and to go above and beyond with that. You know, we'll do calls with anyone. We'll invest, even if there's not a, not a an a obvious ROI initially. Uh, but as a result, you end up with this story time that comes out of it. You end up with these customers that stay longer and the lifetime value goes up. Um, in terms of like difficulty, because you mentioned this, I think, every, I think everything's hard. So I think whatever you do, like things are hard until you understand them and then you can operationalize yeah. them. Everything can be scaled. So, you know, we talk, we talk about, yeah, obviously the, the video piece and the way that we do videos for new sites coming in and, yeah, we take, you know, 30 seconds to welcome every new lead and to welcome and engage with every new customer. It's 30 seconds. Like, yeah. If that customer's paying me like pretty much anything per month, I know there's a, a team member where operationally it'll pay back if it makes that customer stay for one, one month longer. So there's always a, a way to scale things, you know, figure it out first, figure out what works. And then, you know, we have very smart automation systems that can deliver, you know, messages and, uh, um, uh, and ping us notifications to reach out to customers at certain points. Um, everything can be operationalized. So try it, see if you get the return on investment, see if more people engage with you and your brand worry about the scale bit afterwards but there's always a way and yeah. someone's to be honest like everything you look at someone's probably done it before so if you go searching you'll find someone who's tackled these things in, in a smarter way does that answer it yeah yeah thanks matt so matt you've brought some practical ways of how you can bring customer delight into business now when you're talking about systematically and things like that um, may i ask you i guess how do you continue to provide that sort of individual delight for each person and yet have it be systematic for small to medium businesses, especially? 
it's maybe a bit of a process to start with is just to map out your customer journey. So like get a piece of paper, whatever it is, and work out every touch point that you have with the customer, or every, every potential touch point you have with the customer. And this will include, you know, sales calls, it will include handoffs to, you know, account managers or customer success. It might include, you know, trial periods um, or you know, annual reviews, um, upgrades, marketing emails that go out, like you name it, like everything that you go through, map it out. Look at those and then, you know, you don't need, with a delight piece, you don't need to do it a lot for it to have an impact. It's not something you're doing every, like every single day with every single customer. You might only do it, do it a couple of times a year. Again, the idea is, you know, if you can surprise customers a couple of times a year, that, that's enough to get them to talk about it and, and to remember. So, you know, work out and test which points those are. Those might be based on time. They might be based on, you know, the amount of spend the customer has with you. They might be based on some other trigger. So, for instance, to give an example with us, we are a video sending platform when customers hit a, a certain number of videos they've set, which they could do in six weeks. <coughs> or they could do in two years, when they hit a certain point, that triggers one of my team to send something to them. So we, we, we do it based on, I guess, usage when they truly become active. Now that, because it comes at a random time for the customer, it is unexpected, but with us, it's just the process. So you know, we use a CRM called Intercom. You might use Campaign or Salesforce or, or HubSpot. You can build these triggers that say, look, at, at X point, do Y. And so at X point, tell one of the customer success people to send the postcard at x points you know outsource to a drop shipper to send the pair of socks that are branded like yeah. all these things can be automated quite but it's more about working out when on the customer journey it makes sense to inject a little bit of delight and being smart around that because you're trying you're doing it for a reason really you know obviously it feels good and it's part of the culture but the reason is to you know make people smile and get them to stay longer or get them to respond and engage with you and the company so you can go and do yeah, something else with that client, whether it's upselling them or asking them for a review or, or a case study, etc. Um, yeah. yeah. And when did you first start um, really making sure that customer delight was going to be one of the main things, if not a huge part of your culture? Like, was it before Bongiorno you had an experience that you thought, my next business, this will be something that I want to focus on? Yeah, so I ran an agency beforehand. We actually spun Bonjour out of the agency. We, we were sending videos to clients as a kind of sales hack because they were in, in, in other countries and we were just trying to get a bit of personalization across. Mm. Um, that agency still runs today. So we were already doing it for that agency. You know, We were trying to surprise leads that came in the funnel. We were trying to do something different to everyone else. And we were trying to get our personalities across and show them that we care. That was the reason we built Bonjour because one of those agencies asked to use it and then one of their customers asked to use it and off it went. So we, so the, I mean, again, the, the caveat here is the Bonjour is born out of this attitude. Yeah. So we then built a product that we could use to kind of continue with this attitude. Yeah. So, it, so obviously we are biased. So of course it's part of our culture and part of our DNA that we do, but we don't just send videos to everyone. I mean, that, that's, it, that's only, that only works at certain points. You know, it's one comms method. We'll do everything else beyond that. We just realized that that, that worked for us and having, the kind of brand that we do and the attitude that we do, which is a little bit less serious, a little bit more fun, you know, potentially customers come in looking for that. And so we deliver on it. Um, but for us, the, I mean, the ROI for us, we still do, you know, four years in, we still do 80% of our traffic comes through word of mouth. Um, and our traffic is pretty significant. 
um, which is a free traffic source. It's extremely high converting mm. um, and it converts customers that stay for longer. So it's it's built our business. Hands yeah. down. 80%. That's amazing. That's mm, that's so huge. big. Yeah. Mm. And, I, I and, wanted, yeah. Sorry, Chris. I wanted to ask Matt just, to, uh, just around that too, because I think that the question around, you know, how can you delight the customer along that journey is um, a question that I think is just a good question, uh, you know, for, for maybe people who are business owners and they haven't come from that, you know, the kind of origin that you've come from, that practical question around how do we delight this you know, customer? You know, we're servicing them here, we're touching them here, they're, they're, you know, they're entering our funnel here, whatever that is, but how do we surprise or delight them? That's a question that you obviously answer, but how do you know your answer works? So, for example, you're sending socks, but how do you know, or what, as an example, how do you know that that is the thing? How do you test that? Yeah, so let's say, so let, let's go with the socks example. Um, understand why you're doing this. So, what's the outcome? And have a, have a little think about it. Yeah? And there might be a few here. So, these outcomes might be that you just want people to go to the social and share this mm. and talk about it, yeah, and show the world the, that you're doing the right thing. It might be that. Yeah, well, one of the other things is probably going to be that you want that customers to stay longer um, with you. Now, so a, a company that sends socks is Buffer. Um, so Buffer kind of like online scheduling for social media. Um, so they sent out socks at certain points. They sent all my team socks at some point. Um, but it's what you do is you do an A-B test. So you, uh, you send socks to one bunch of customers and you don't send them to another bunch of customers. You then look at the data a few months later and see... A, of the ones you sent socks to stay with you a bit longer, um, and B, when you first sent the socks, do those do they go to social and share those What's or talk about it? Yeah, mm. you know, and obviously, like you could ask them to go. To, like, that's exactly random. You can say to them, "Hey, if you like these, can you go to social and share it? <laughs> and yeah. See how many do." Yeah. So, and then and then see what that does for your traffic and whether you get other com- customers commenting. There's a whole like network effect thing here. I mean, ultimately, if you run two sets of customers and one of them you attempt to delight and one of them you don't. Run this for six months and then look at the 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 lifetime value. And what what I mean by that is how much they spent, you know, over those six months. How much are, are they looking to spend down the line? And and some maths behind it you can look at and, um, to understand that concept. But you are looking to see if there's a difference, a significant difference between those two. In some industries, this is a lot easier to do. Things like e-commerce. You can absolutely see if people come back yeah. and be purchased, or if they, they increase their, their their basket size. If you're a software or an online course, you can see if people churn if they leave or stay longer. Um, if you're in agency, it's probably might be more qualitative, understanding the the nature of the relationship. Are you getting more quotes? Are they always coming to you first? Um, you know, are you is it easier to upsell? Are you getting referrals? Um, so it's not it's not always the easiest track in every industry. Um, but there will always be indicators that you can use, whether those are, you know, qualitative or, or quantitative. Mm. Yeah. So I love that approach. So you're doing the kind of testing. You, you, you Basically, you're, you're testing that question and to see that, you know, in terms of a hypothesis, is that going to work or not? And, um, and, and so have you ever, um, what's, the, what's the biggest fail that you've had then? There must have been things that just didn't land in terms of you thinking it was, going to surprise and delight but it didn't would you be willing to share that Matt because I think I think that fails are always important lessons yeah I mean, we've, tried, we've tried everything we've, we've sent 
<laughs> everything and we've sent stuff to like, like like i found tangible goods are, are an interesting one because you're trying to work out that's hard because you're trying to work out literally there's like a, a direct cost with this yeah you know like literally if i'm getting a bear suit and shipping it it's costing me a hundred dollars to go to like alaska is that person going to stay more than a hundred dollars longer and would they stay anyway um i i so like, i don't think we really get it's not obvious failures in terms of people don't like or engage with stuff. I think where it actually comes, the failures are probably around measuring the impact of these. Yeah. So we used to do handmade and mess like postcards for quite a while. I don't think we ever really worked out if it was working or not. Um, right. So it's quite difficult for us to work out, but I, I also don't think we ever got it to a scale. This is quite early on in the business. So it's kind of thing where now I look, I look at it now that we're a lot bigger and I go, right, that's probably worth testing again. And now we have the data that we can probably measure it and see if it has an impact. Track. Mm. Yeah, like so. I think I think the failures for us have been probably not not working out what an ROI is, and when things when you're unsure if something is returning the time or the investment, then it's likely to get dropped, and it might get dropped and actually be working. You know, and that's the thing that you know mm. that's the risk you take. So I think having tried a lot of stuff, it's quite easy to move on to the next thing and you know, try another thing and try another thing and try another thing and not not keep with some things. Um, yeah, I don't again. Look, I don't think we've ever sent anything that someone's been like, "What? What the hell is this?" Because generally, <laughs> if you send stuff, it's you know, it's great. If you send videos, people like it anyway. Um, and if they don't like it, we, we have we have people who sign up and they don't like the video, and I'm like, "Well, like, you're obviously not, you're obviously not the right customer for our culture." Yes. So don't worry about it. Yeah, like you know, go and use someone else. Um, that's not a failure though. That's that. Like I'm totally fine to not have customers if they're not right for us. Yeah, that's Absolutely. confidence. You can you don't have to work with some people that aren't wanting to work with you. It's easier. I mean, it's um, you're not perfect for everyone. I mean, if I, like niche is good. You know, niche and that niche can be in terms of industry or in terms of jobs to be done, how they they work with you, or it can be in terms of culture. Like you know, find the ones that you work wonderfully with, and it's much easier to grow those customers. Much easier to get advocates. Absolutely, for you sure. Know, it's a better return on investment for your time. Mm, absolutely. And, and Matt, I'm also interested in, um, so you've grown your staff uh, and have you looked for certain qualities in people because you've got this particular, which is, you know, a great positive bias in a way, you've got a bias towards customer delight. Have you looked for something different when you've grown your team? Yeah, just, there's two schools of thought here. So there's that, yeah, we're, and we're just about to do another big hiring job next year. So we're kind of like in the process again, looking at this and reevaluating. So we've always hired people like us. Yeah. Um, like our culture, like honestly, like we could tell straight away, we're like, you know, would we be willing to have a, you know, um, to have lunch or have a drink with this person after work? Would, would we go away with them, you know, for a trip? Because we, we tend to fly the whole team together once a year and we all go camping and stuff and go outdoors and do they fit with us? Are they someone we would be friends with? Because we're pretty we're pretty sure if they'd be friends with us, they'll, they'll be friends with our customers because mm-hmm. um, we're all very transparent. We're all very genuine. You know, we all lean on each other. Um, so I think that's quite, yeah, we have a few questions that we kind of like interview around around these pieces. So we always sense check on culture first. We probably, you know, the way that people apply for jobs has a huge impact. We Like I don't look at someone's CV until, you know, probably the third interview. Um, I don't really care as much as their experience and how they approach us. Um, especially in yeah, and in, te- and in te- te- uh, technical roles, we don't look at CVs at all. All we care about is you know, can you you do the work, and then does your culture fit? Um, there is another school of thought, which is some roles you should hire people not like you. 
Um, so like a common one that's kind of the common trope here is, is around sales. So, you know, you might like a, like a salesperson might be a lot more, you know, alpha than you are. They might, you know, go out there and like hit the phones and hammer, hammer, hammer. Whereas, you know, you might be more of a kind of soft skills kind of person. But, you know, the argument there is that sometimes those, those different people are good to the organization because you actually need those skills and there's something you don't have. I think there's a, there's a balance there. Like, I'll be honest, I think... I still think the culture is more important than people realize. So I don't think you should ever forego that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't, I think, I think they have to have the same culture. They can have a different attitude and there's a, there's a fine line between working out what that is. I do agree that you shouldn't hire everyone exactly like yourself because you're going to miss some key skills if you do that. Mm. So it, and, it, it, it's tough. Yeah. And may, maybe what you're, I, I agree with you. I think culture fit, cultural fit is really important, particularly when you have, like you, a very firm idea of what you want your culture to be. You've shaped it in a particular way and you, you're really clear about that. So culture, cultural fit is super important. I think that's right on the money. I, I think what you're talking about, though, is maybe being open to diversity in thinking styles, so bringing people in who might think a little bit differently so that you're, you're not kind of creating a gap in your collective thinking. So, uh, and that we can talk about that a little bit more because I have a way of testing that and, you know, as in um, mapping that if, you, if you're interested. But, but you know, there, there's maybe different, um, any, any kind of, I guess, effective team, you know, larger team needs people who will think differently uh, so that you're, you're really not, you're really including the, the whole population of potential customers because your customers will think differently too. They'll, they'll, they'll reflect that diversity. So, um, you know, if you reflect their diversity, then you're, you're going to find a match. Yeah, I, I think I, another caveat here, or I guess a lesson I've learned and I've seen is that I, I do think it's easier to do this as you get a little bit bigger. I think when you have a very small team, that, again, so, so, so here's the balance. You, know, you get the diversity and the thinking, but when you were like, with a small team, you need to work out is that important versus if everyone's kind of the same when there's like three or four of you, like the, the other things you can move a lot faster because you can kind of like second guess each other. Um, yes. And there comes a point when that, so, but then as you get bigger, that absolutely does not work. So, like, so when you get bigger, like, you, you, need that, you need to diversify, otherwise it fails. And there's a point, I feel there's a point when this crosses over mm-hmm. when actually, you know, if, if, if you're a very small team, maybe thinking all the same way, even though it's not ideal, kind of gets you somewhere like really, really quickly and gets you to hack a lot faster because you don't have any management or any, or any levels or any structure. And then there comes a point when your customer base becomes larger and you need to have a, a diversity and to even get like better ideas and creativity. And there's a flip point and you need to manage the culture through that flip point. And I think that's yeah. a challenge. And I, I think most people do it, do it the wrong one way or the other. Mm. Um, I mean, this is growth growing pains, you know, and then you get to 20 people and it happens again. Then you know, 70 happens again. Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah, and in fact, I'm I'm talking to a CEO at the moment. He's not in your industry. He's more in education. But they uh, they've grown, so they've they've now uh, they now have 144 staff, and then they have a lot of contractors that come in, you know, above that. And he feels like he's lost sight of the culture that he wanted to shape. Mm. So to your point, I think you're absolutely right. The more you grow the more you have to um, kind of keep keep track of that, but also, um, you know, get the balance right. It's it's hard. It's hard. And, it's you know, it's a really easy one to lose the ball on. I think 
because because as you grow you get busy like everyone gets busy everyone gets yeah. sucked in you know you grow fast um you know it's like i think we'll probably double our team next year and you look at that and you go well that's going to be a real challenge because because the faster you grow the harder it is to hold the culture and so you have to have like key team members that like, keep it together you start easy he starts to process in place for culture you know whereas at the beginning you just all go camping yeah. <laughs> you get larger you're like no, that, that's it. not gonna work you know like so <laughs> you know if that's once a year and you know especially with the whole the world the way it's been now and, and going more like and we're yeah. in six countries which makes it immeasurably like harder again um you know i think i was a little bit naive at the beginning when you know you expect the culture just to kind of go on its own i look at it now and like it takes a lot of work and it's really really easy to drop the ball on but, but what I love about um, how this, how we all connected, though, was obviously you talk about culture a lot, Matt, because Cassie was really clear in uh, in kind of describing you as someone who cares about culture and loves to talk about culture. So obviously that's something you communicate frequently. Yeah, and Casey's part part of the team. You know, like we brought him on. You know, for for like he he was an obvious match. You know, like like we knew him beforehand, and one day we're like, "So, you're gonna you're gonna be working with us?" <laughs> like, yeah. So, so it's when when you have it and you understand it, and when you get a get a core team that understands it too. It like so, like I say, it's hard. You can drop the ball, like you can. Uh, but when you have a few of you who are, who are good matches, obviously that that makes it much easier to start to grow it because it's not just you don't have to talk about it. Yeah, your 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 team could talk about it. You know, and obviously as you start to get more hierarchy your managers will then pass that on to the team below them you know it's the whole tribal nature you know and yeah. and how do you grow it so i think it's like it's, it's quite exciting when that happens and you see that start to spread like as with your as with the ceo you, know, you chat so it just comes up i i think you've got more leeway up to a certain size i think you know once you start to well, what i've read about is you know once you start to get to kind of 70 people that's kind of like the size of like like the, the kind of maximum tribal size then you're starting to get into a company that has multiple tribes and try and keep those together. You know, we even see it now as, you know, where, where we have a developer culture, which we encourage is really, 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 like really important to building a product. And then obviously we have the culture of, you know, the customer facing team and you need to match those together and they're quite mm. different personalities. And so, you know, even there, there's, there's work to be done. Um, but I, I don't have all the answers. I mean, I'm learning every day. As are we, Matt. That's why we're here. <laughs> it's, uh, it's it's wonderful, and uh, yeah. So I and and I'm yeah. I I just want to say I I I really applaud your focus. I think it's a great focus, and and absolutely, I think that um, um, you know, as you grow, there are always different challenges. But um, but but you know, we we actually will talk a little bit about those topics on this podcast as we go along as well, because there are some really great. Um, hacks you can put in place for cultures as they grow as well and so it's just about learning and sharing and and um and then particularly because you have that focus just putting that in place so you're you're in i think you're in the right zone for that mm, hopefully so matt as we are wrapping up um what are there any sort of wisdom bits that you want to end off with for our listeners about, yeah, so, yeah. About life or customer delight, anything like, you want. We have it. We have an ethos in the company. I'm, I'm pretty proud of. I think, I think it's a good one to kind of follow, which is automate processes but never relationships. So, I this love that. this is for internal for team, and this is for mm. external for customers and, and for life. I think. Um, look, scale and automation is amazing, 
the way we see it is what it should be doing is freeing up the things um, that it is doing the things that a human doesn't need to do so it frees up the stuff that only a human could do mm. and so you know you look at relationships with team and with, and with customers those need to be run by a human you know we don't build relationships with robots so with your most stuff stuff you're putting in place it should free you up to if anything be more human than you ever were before follow that and i don't think you can go wrong wow that's so good joe is there anything you'd like to add um no i think that i i, I would love to just wrap up on that i think that's a great um great little kind of wisdom phrase and i uh and i i'm really um, just really happy to have Matt um, in the conversation today. So I'm going to leave Matt with the last word today, Christy. Yes, I think it, thank it. you, Matt. Machines are not humans. Yeah. And don't <laughs> replace humans with machines. Is that, does that sum it up for you, Matt? That's, that's pretty much it. <laughs> Thanks so much for your wisdom and passion and sharing with us, Matt. And we hope you come back actually and chat with us again. As always, thanks for listening, everyone. We're looking forward to connecting with you next time. So do you currently focus on delighting your customers? Or if not, why not? Let us know. Send your comments and questions at justbean at geared4growth.biz, which is in the description. We'll also add Bonjour's details as well, so you can all try out their video services for a complimentary 14-day trial. And we appreciate you, and we hope you found this episode useful. Bye for now. Bye. <laughs>